0: Amen and amen. You can be seated. Glad again. Glad you are here this morning. Uh, Glad that uh, you survived any major explosions at my house. We had more accidents this year than we have had in previous years uh, from the 4th of July. Um, We usually have a lot of fun, uh, blow up a lot of stuff, which is really cool. But uh, this year we actually had some people get burned and one of them still here today. We're glad for that, Bob. Anyway, so, hey, glad you are here. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 16. We've got a, a uh, series we're doing through the summer, just walking through certain psalms and just looking at uh, really really what we're seeing the psalms to be is God's words spoken by God's people back to God. And then we are, uh, as, we, as we walk through them, we're recognizing that they really point us to Jesus. And so, this particular psalm, Psalm 16, is... As I read it and studied it this week, there's no way I can do justice to everything that's here. Um, I I wish I could, but the reality is, I I went from about uh, through about three or four iterations of this sermon, uh, different ways I could have focused, different things I could have drawn out, and it's just not time to do it all. But I finally settled. It really settled in on me. uh, Actually, Friday uh, after this week, you know, we've just celebrated the Fourth of July, and I, I mean, I enjoy the holiday. We, we, I like to blow things up. I know not everybody likes that. I like to blow things up. We, we have a good time. It seems like I'm in the right neighborhood for that. It's like a war zone in my neighborhood. There's stuff blowing up all over the place. So it's a good time. It really is a good time. Uh, but, but beyond that, this year, something different that I noticed was I heard a lot of readings of the Declaration of Independence this year. Maybe more than I've heard in years past. In fact, I don't think I've heard it. In years past, it's not like Christmas. At Christmas, you sit down and you read Luke two. You know, you know you're going to sit down and read Luke two about the birth of Jesus. It's not like you sit down and read the Declaration of Independence on the fourth of July. Well, it's not my practice. Maybe it's yours, and if I don't, I don't. Well, I don't mean to poke fun at it, but if it is, I, it's just different than mine. But this year, I, I couldn't get it out of my head. I, I think because of in part at least, because of of reading this psalm. Let me just read you a piece of the Declaration of Independence, and and I think this will help you uh, see where I'm going. It says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident. You know this, right? This is famous, right? We've heard this before. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. and happiness and i think in part this is sticking out to me because i'm reading psalm 16 but but maybe also it's sticking out to me because everywhere you look today it it, it seems to be in contradiction to the current state of things like everywhere you turn people are upset people are angry i don't know if you can define us as a, an american people living under an american government as happy And we declared independence from King of Britain and claimed a right to self-govern. And this was the words of the declaration, so that we could most effectively provide safety and happiness to those who are governed. But I can't help but think, as I look at the common, just the, 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 the lay of the land, I can't help but think that in some way we have failed. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I am not anti-U.S. I am, I'm really conservative in my view of politics. I'm grateful to God I was born here. I'm I, uh, partial to our form of government. I, it, of all the places I could be living, I'm thankful to God I'm living here. I think we are uh, privileged in ways that no one else in the world enjoys. I'm not opposed to us having declared independence uh, at that point. I'm not opposed to us defending our nation then or now in whatever way it needs to be defended. But let's be honest about where we are. I mean, the current state of things does not seem, I mean, is this what they envisioned when they were signing this document? I don't think so. Because I don't think people would be... In fact, I saw one study that showed that 33, only 33% of Americans... This was last year. It was a study done by, the, I think it was Pew uh, Research. Uh, only 33% of Americans would claim to be happy. That somehow it's not working. I don't think we feel particularly safe. I mean, isn't it the reason why we fight so hard to bear arms is because we're afraid somebody's going to come after us? And I'm not anti-gun. I mean, I served in the army. I love guns. I like to blow stuff up. I've already said that. But isn't that a main reason that people use? Because I need to defend myself. Why do you need to defend yourself? Because I'm afraid, really, is what it comes down to. See, on the one hand, I'm hearing the Declaration of Independence, I'm hearing this call to say, let's form a government that will effectively provide peace, safety, happiness. And then I'm reading David. This psalm, Psalm 16, which you'll see is a a prayer of faith. A prayer of faith in which he declares his singular devotion toward God in whom he finds security, assurance of life, and joy. I'm just going to read it. We've heard the Declaration of Independence, or at least in part we've heard it. Psalm 16 says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, On the one hand, I'm hearing, it's just all coming down on me this week. On the one hand, I'm hearing the Declaration of Independence. I'm hearing these these framers of of, of our government, these these men who stood out and and took a stand and said, we are not going to be ruled in this way any longer. And we're going to establish a government. We have the right to establish a government that will, bring, uh, that, that will ensure the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It will ensure safety and happiness. And then on the other, I am reading David, who is not in a pursuit of happiness or seeking independence to find happiness, but instead makes a declaration of dependence and devotion to God and ends up with everything else. He ends up with everything we long for. He finds everything that we desire deeply in our hearts. Not by some form of government, not by some promise of some man, but by God himself. Don't we long for the assurance of life, for safety, security? And he didn't just find happiness. Like, he didn't just find a circumstance that made him feel good for a moment. He found the fullness of... Of joy. He found pleasures forevermore, pleasures that never end. See, if you'll notice in your bulletins, I originally titled this psalm or the sermon Fullness of Joy. But as this rested on me, I realized this needs to be a declaration of dependence. See, running after joy is running after the wrong thing. (laughs) Finding ourselves completely dependent upon the God who creates and who promises to save. It's there that we find all the things that deeply rested in the desires of our heart. That motivate us to move to action, to do things, to pursue things. Listen, seeing David's declaration in the psalm, seeing his declaration in the psalm, it just scratches the surface. I mean, it it, it certainly is beautiful. We need to pay attention to it. We need to see it. But it just scratches the surface. And truth be told, it doesn't really give us a reason. doesn't really give us a reason to think that this even applies to us. It doesn't give us a reason to do the same. It doesn't give us a reason to declare our dependence upon God, our devotion to God. And so the question, I think, that comes to mind, is there, a, is there hope for us in this psalm? Is there a reason for us in this psalm that you and me would faithfully declare our dependence and our devotion to God today? Is there any reason to expect that this is not just the way he works with David, but that we could expect him to work in the same way he has with David? <clears throat> could we honestly entrust ourselves to him and expect that we would find these things we so deeply desire? Yes. Absolutely yes. Because this psalm isn't just about David. This psalm points us toward Jesus. This psalm is about Jesus. Let me just share with you one quote. It's not on the screen. It's just... I'll just read it to you. Matthew Henry, he's a Puritan pastor and commentator, wrote one of the best uh, single-volume commentaries on the whole Bible that exists today, writes this about Psalm 16. He says, This psalm has something of David in it, but much more of Christ. It begins with such expressions of devotion as may be applied to Christ, but it concludes with such confidence of resurrection and so timely a one as to prevent corruption, as must be applied to Christ, to him only, and cannot be understood of David. This psalm is in it. Yes, we see David. We hear his voice. But this psalm isn't just about David. This psalm is about Jesus. And, and, and Matthew Henry isn't alone. And I, I could quote theologian after theologian who wrote, wrote about the Bible, who wrote about this psalm. But there's a greater authority. The, the scripture speaks of the psalm and points us to see Jesus. Peter standing on Pentecost morning. I don't know if you're familiar with Pentecost morning. Peter standing on Pentecost morning is it's the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 believers that, that had followed Christ after his death and resurrection. The Holy Spirit's poured out on them. It's like the noise of a rushing of the wind is what the scripture says. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. It draws a crowd. I mean, uh, people from all over Jerusalem come to see what's going on because this rushing wind. And these 120 people, having been baptized in the Spirit, being anointed with the Spirit, are prophesying and glorifying God. And everybody that comes to hear them or comes to see what's going on, hears these people in their language. There's people from all over the place, from from like 12 or 13 different places are named in the scripture. And that, that number could be wrong. Go and count it for yourself. But all these people speaking different languages come and they hear the hear these 120 people speaking in their own language, and they're like, wait a minute, aren't these people from Galilee? Aren't they just uneducated folks? How are they speaking to us like this? And the excuse is given well, I think they're drunk. This is the first, maybe the only time in all of history that alcohol has been given the credit of enabling people to speak in coherent languages. It's the truth. I don't think it's recorded anywhere else in history that someone would drink too much alcohol and be able to communicate in a language that they don't know. Now, they might mumble and they might slur and you can't understand them, but that's just not the way it happens. Peter steps out from among them on that morning. He steps out from among the 120 as a spokesperson for God's people, preaches the first recorded gospel message after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And he comes to this point in the message. In in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through 28, he quotes this psalm. He says this, For David says concerning him, He's pointing us back. He's pointing these people that he's prophesying to, preaching the gospel to, back to Psalm 16. And then he provides a bit of explanation. Brothers, this is verse 29, Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through 31. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Like, he knows where David's buried at. We can walk there. We can go to this place. Being, therefore, a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. David, He's saying David couldn't be talking about himself. David could not, in Psalm 16, be referring to himself in any way, because David died. David's buried. David was still buried at that point, and I'm guessing... David's still buried today. I could be wrong. But I've not heard of anything about David stepping up and sitting back on a throne. David's dead. His body has rotted in a grave. He could not have been speaking of himself. Instead, he's speaking about Jesus. That was Peter's logic. That was Peter's line of thinking. Paul. The Apostle Paul uses the same line of thinking. Just a few chapters later, as Paul and Barnabas have been set aside by the church and sent out. They're in Antioch in Pisidia. And Paul preaching the gospel to the to the Jews in the synagogue says this to them. In chapter 13, verse 36 through 39. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. And what he's saying is, David had a purpose. God had intended him for a great great reason. He had a great role in God's redemptive plan. When that was done, David died. David was buried and David rotted. I don't know, that's just what he's saying. But he whom God raised raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that, you, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Yeah, we can see David in this psalm. But beyond David, we see Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who is devoted to his father completely. Completely. Jesus is one. I mean, look, look, at, look at the opening verses. Look at the first few verses. In verse 2, we see these, this singular devotion being expressed. For in you I take refuge. No one else. You, God, preserve me. I take refuge in you. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Simply what he's saying there is, I say to God. That's Yahweh, the, the, the name of God. I say to God, you are my Lord. You are my supreme Lord authority i have no good apart from you there is nothing there, there apart from you there is nothing good I, I i can't look around at things apart from you and say that's good i'll run to that that's good i'll run to that there is no good apart from god this singular devotion this single minded devotion this is jesus who was devoted to his father so completely It's Jesus who's so devoted to his Father God that he can't help but delight in the people of God. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. There's a reality. We, We can't say we love God if we don't love his people. We, those two things don't coincide, but for Jesus, the devotion, for, the devotion to his Father is so direct, it's so clear that he directs that devotion to the people of God. As for the saints in the land, that's God's people. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You know, you, you know how we know Jesus was devoted to God and to God's people? The cross. John tells us this is not just the, the, the demonstration of devotion, it's the demonstration of this great love with which he demonstrated to us. He says to us in First John 3.16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brother's. We cannot separate the love of God from the love of his people, the devotion to God from the devotion to his people. And this is Jesus who did that faithfully, without fail. I'm going to suggest that David couldn't have made that claim. Not completely. I mean, maybe not at the point that he wrote this psalm but we know David was set up a guy to be murdered to cover up his own sin. Jesus would give his own life. Jesus, he who knew no sin, would become sin because he was so devoted to his father that he had to devote himself to his father's people. Jesus is the one who was devoted to his father completely. Jesus is the one who was satisfied with his father completely. Let's move down to verse 4. And you see this contrast now. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Let me just take a minute here. There's a reality that we have to deal with this. Because this isn't just David. I mean, this is really all of us. Matt prayed it at the open, in, in, in the prayer earlier. And we have to confess we are not fully satisfied with God. Otherwise, we wouldn't be running around seeking so many other things. The interesting thing about what David says here and what Jesus will eventually prove for us and work out for us is that sorrow comes from running after those things. I wonder why we're in such a state here today. I wonder why a a declaration of independence couldn't live up to its promise. Because it's not a government that's ever going to satisfy these things or supply these things. we will only know more sorrow, increasing sorrow. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. But Jesus won't have any part to do with it. He will not pour out drink offerings on their behalf. He will not take their names upon his lips. He alone is committed to his father. Verse 5, he alone, God is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. There's allusions back to the day that the Israelites came into the in this verse, there's an allusion to the, to the day that the Israelites came into the land and they began to divide up the land and their, and their, um, and their lot was given to them. Their, their, their inheritance, if you will, their portion of the land was handed out. And Jesus says, it's not the land that I get, it's the Lord that I get. Jesus is fully satisfied with his Father. He doesn't need his Father and land. He doesn't need his Father and stuff. The Lord is my portion. And my cup. He is everything to me. He holds my lot. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. You see, you get God. That's his greatest gift to us. Jesus gets God, but he gets everything that comes with God. I mean, you just consider all of this. Think about all of this. And let's go back to our study in Luke over these last few years, couple of years. What was it that Luke showed us about Jesus? Who was it that he was looking to counsel for? What was Jesus doing the night before he chose the twelve apostles? He spent the whole night on top of a mountain praying. The very first thing he does when he comes down from that mountain is he chooses twelve to lead his people. What is it that he was doing the night before he was arrested? We find him praying seeking his Father's will, looking to his Father for counsel. If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. And when he stands up from that prayer, he doesn't question, he doesn't resist, he walks steadfastly to the cross. He doesn't defend himself in any way, he takes up his cross, he carries it, and then he hangs and dies on it. But it didn't start in this prayer. I mean, we see Jesus satisfied in his father from the very beginning, from the opening days of his ministry. What happens after his baptism? The Spirit leads him out into the desert, and Satan comes and tempts him after 40 days out there. He's hungry, and Satan comes and tempts him. And what does Jesus say to him every time? No. And he uses scripture, he uses his father's will, he uses his father's counsel, he uses his father as the very reason for which he will not sacrifice himself. He will not submit himself to another God. Jesus is the one who was satisfied with his father completely. I don't think we can say that about David. Not completely. Or David never would have been standing on that roof. Looking down on Bathsheba, another man's wife, longing for her. Jesus was always satisfied, only satisfied with his father. And in that satisfaction with his father, he didn't just get his father. He got all that came with his father. Jesus is the one who is dependent on his father. Completely. He's the one who died. He is the one who died, but whose body never rotted. He was the one who died. You see this, right? Right in verse, verses 8, beginning in verse uh, 7, really. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Jesus is confident, he is dependent upon the presence of his Father. Not just for counsel, but, but going ahead of him, protecting him all around. See, so Jesus is the one. But again, think back to our time in Luke. The cross was not a surprise to Jesus. It's not like he got arrested and then they bring him to, to uh, be tried and they find him guilty and they bring him to Pilate and Pilate eventually sentences him, sentences him to death. And Jesus is like, I never saw that coming. I never expected that to happen. I really thought you'd see me as a good person and and let me go. Jesus always knew he was headed to the cross. Repeatedly, he told his disciples, this is going to happen. I'm going to suffer and die. He knew it was coming. Rather than running high, rather than, than, than try to defend himself, rather than confront in power and stand there to defend himself and push off the cross in some way, He confronts the hypocrisy of the leaders in their religion. In the very heart of their hypocrisy, standing in the temple, he puts them down. And they hated him for it. And they wanted him dead for it. So they crucify him. And even in this moment of death, even in this point where so many others would turn and say, have you forgotten me? What is going on here? Why are you letting me endure this? Jesus' final words according to Luke are, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even in that final moment when everything seemed lost, Jesus trusted, Jesus depended, Jesus was confident in his Father. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. He hung his head and he died. Jesus is the one. Who's devoted to his father completely. Jesus is the one who is satisfied with his father completely. Jesus is the one who is dependent completely upon his father. I don't think we can say those things about David. Jesus is the one whose death did not end in corruption. He did die. But instead of his body rotting in the grave, he rose on the third day. Instead of being able to go to a tomb where you can say this is where Jesus lies. Instead of being able to say that Jesus is still to this day buried, he lives. Jesus is the one whose death did not end in corruption. And listen, brothers and sisters, because Jesus would be this one. As is, is David's writing this, he's writing about something that's to come. Because Jesus would be this one that he writes of. David was going to be able to be too. Because Jesus would be, David was able to say these words in him. Because Jesus was this one. Because as we look back now, Jesus was this one. We can be too. We have this hope too. If Psalm 16 weren't first true about Jesus, then it would never have been true about David. And if it was never true about Jesus, it couldn't be true about us. But because it is. But because it is. Psalm 16 isn't just true about Jesus. but It is also true about David. In Christ it is true about David. And in Christ it is true about us. Brothers and sisters, we may die, our bodies may even rot in the grave, but we will not be abandoned. We will not be left there. We will not have hopelessness there. We will not have emptiness there. Because Jesus lives, we can declare our dependence and devotion to God in faith and find safety, assurance of life, and fullness of joy. We can find the same things that Jesus found. We can find the same things that David wrote of. Well, let's just go back for a moment to where we began. Our Declaration of Independence. Men seeking to establish a government that would effectively ensure safety and happiness. And certainly we may have had some measure of success. This great experience, experiment of democracy it hasn't been a total failure. But I don't think it's been all those men envisioned. And I don't want to put it on those men. I just think the reality is it never will be. Because of where we live. The conclusion I came to is... As I thought about these two things, David's declaration of dependence that points us to Christ and, and the declaration of independence that continued to ring in my ears, I realized forming a right government or really filling the blank in with anything there, forming the right government, Establishing the right set of circumstances. Getting the right things in place. What was it that he prayed earlier? The right amount of money. The right amount of stuff. It's never going to make us safe. and It's never going to make us happy. Never. <laughs> but what governments fail to do what all these other lesser gods failed to do. Our God has done. He is doing and will continue to do for all who come to him in faith, declaring the same dependence and devotion to him. He does it through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we declare our dependence on him in Christ. We declare our devotion to him in Christ. And in Christ we find Not that we just get God. Yes, we get God. But we get also all that comes with God. Namely, safety. The assurance of life. The fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, because Jesus lives. The refugee in verse 1. That's you and me. Finds the fullness of joy in verse 11. Because Jesus lives, this psalm can be our psalm. This song can be our song. This prayer can be our prayer. This declaration of dependence and devotion can be our declaration of dependence and devotion to our God. Because Jesus lives. Let's pray. Father God. Grateful for your glory, grateful for your goodness, grateful for you, for the reality of who you are, of what you have done, of how you are revealing yourself to us, of how you are working on our behalf, of how you have worked on our behalf, of what you have promised for our future. Would you give us strength to believe, to depend ourselves, to depend upon you, ourselves, to devote ourselves to you, to lean into you, to trust you, to find you there every step of the way, would you reveal to us those things that we trust in more? those things that we hope for more. That we might turn from them in repentance and look to your Son and trust you and you alone. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.